So we're doing a series on parables. And I wanted to begin by asking, how many of you like a good story? I mean, I, I think that stories are how we, we learn things. It's how we remember. Stories have the, the wonderful ability to get behind all of our defenses, all of our expectations, and it gives us something to think over. We, we remember them so easily that they allow us to think through it. And one of the reasons for parables is it gives us something to think about, something to, to it's not just what happens on, on face value, but what's going on behind the story. A couple of weeks ago, we, did, we were talking about The Lion King, and most of you probably have seen that movie, you know the kind of the story, but all of a sudden, when you start seeing it in terms of your own life, it kind of gets behind your defenses. Jesus was sort of the master of telling parables, and he told them for a particular reason. As a matter of fact, in our gospel lesson this morning, in Matthew's gospel, the disciples really come and they say, Jesus, why do you tell stories? Why don't you just, like, why are you not like the other rabbis and the Pharisees that just say, here are the rules, just follow the rules? And it, Jesus hearkened back to a passage in Isaiah's prophecy. God is saying, you know, these people, they can see what is right before them, but they don't really see it. They don't see the story. They can hear it with their ears, but they don't really hear it. Sometimes we can become so busy with our schedules, with our to-do lists, with expectations, that we fail to see the big story that is happening all around us. Things that are happening, that, that we're part of something bigger than just your day-to-day. -day. Have you ever been in that situation where you're so consumed by your schedule, you're not exactly sure why you're doing all of the things that you're doing? One of the great metaphors is that little, that little hamster. If you've ever gone to the pet store and you see those little hamsters on the wheel, right? And they look so cute, but to some extent they're a hamster. That's all that they really do. But have you ever really felt like that at some time? That you're on a, on, on a wheel and you're running really fast and the faster that you go, the faster that the wheel goes and it goes faster and faster. For those of you that are of my generation, and I don't, I'm not gonna pick you out, but how many of you have ever watched that cartoon, The Jetsons? All right. If you haven't, Google it and you'll find it. But at the beginning of the, the show, it's, it's about the Jetsons. The Jetsons are this futuristic family. And George is taking his dog, Astro. He's taking Astro for a walk and they get on this treadmill. Right, and it's just, he's taking him for a walk in a futuristic world. But as he gets going, Astro finally sees a cat. And Astro takes off. And he's going faster and faster and faster. And, and the treadmill's just going faster, faster, faster. Finally, it's going so fast that in this cartoon, George starts going around with the, now all of a sudden, the, the treadmill is controlling George. And George is going, foom, 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 foom. And Astro, steps off to the side, and he and the cat are just sitting there looking, looking at George going around, right? And the line in there that's worth remembering is Jane, you know, he starts calling out for his wife. He says, Jane, stop this crazy thing. Now, the reason that I tell that little story, and hopefully that you can think about that, is have you ever been like that? Your day is like, now all of a sudden, you're not taking a walk. The walk is taking you. 
You're not on a journey. The journey now controls you, and you're just going, I'm, just, I'm at the mercy of all these other forces. And you want to cry out in the middle saying, Jane, God, stop this crazy thing. I want to get off. If you haven't been there, maybe you haven't been honest yet, but you will. I love this painting. It's, it's a painting by a guy by the name of Coco who's done a number of paintings like this that I really like about the, the different parables and about the different stories of, of Jesus. And you get in this image of Jesus talking to a, a group of, of peasants, people that are working the field. I saw this picture uh, from a movie and I thought I would capture it. It's this idea of Jesus sitting on a rock and the people that are gathered around him are, are farmers, right? They're just gathered to hear what is, what is Jesus telling them. And, and there's a shepherd in the background taking some sheep. They're probably uh, at an orchard for, for olives. Maybe it's an olive grove. But there are people just sitting in the middle of a field. And, and I wanted to think about if you were living in that time, where, where do you see yourself in that, in that image? I mean, I, got, I just wanted to be honest with you a little bit this morning. I come from a long line of peasants. If I were in that time, my family or my family line would come from a long line of peasants. My, my namesake, my, my grandfather from the Guidon side, uh, fled Austria in, in 1912 and they came over in a ship and my, actually my grandfather, um, uh, his name is recorded in, in Ellis Island as they fled Austria, their homeland, in order to come to this amazing country. And they settled in New Jersey and eventually in Pennsylvania. But they were workers. They, they were, um, my, my mother was a, a secretary. My father was a machinist. They were workers. They were peasants. We don't really have, unfortunately, Alex is sitting over here. We don't have royal blood going through us. We're not part of the aristocracy. Here's, here's the next generation of peasants right over here. <laughs> but that means I'm asking certain questions. And, and when the peasants came to Jesus, when Jesus began talking about the kingdom, there are certain questions that they, they came to ask him based on their lifestyle. And maybe you're asking the same questions where you are. And one of the questions that they ask him is, Jesus, do you think I matter to God? My life is hard, I work all the time. You know, I'm not sure if the crop is gonna come in and, and heaven forbid that one of my kids gets sick and I don't know what to do for them. Life is hard and, and I just needed to ask you, do you think God cares about me? Have you ever asked that in the quietness of your own mind? As busy as you are, as, as, as hectic as your life is, does God care about me? And so naturally Jesus told him a story and he said, I wanna tell you the story of a lost coin. And I want to tell you a story of a lost sheep. And, and last time we talked about, I want to tell you the story of a prodigal son. The message there is, is that God is always, always, always looking for you. He's always seeking that relationship with you. He's always desiring to welcome you back into the fold, welcome you back into that, that covenant. And, and the other side of that is that sometimes we don't even know that we're lost. We don't even know that we've drifted away, that we have lost our connection to the flock, but we can feel it, that restlessness. And so we know that God has a plan for you. He has a place for you in the kingdom. But as peasants, then that raises the next question. And the next question is, what should I do? A am I ready? Are you ready to come back to the flock? Are you ready 
to experience the kingdom that God has in store for you. And so I come back and I say, God, what must I do to experience all of this abundance, this, this new life that you're talking about, Jesus? What, what role do I have? What, what am I supposed to do? And so Jesus, in a classic example, he said, I know, let me tell you a story. And it's a story that we, all, we know all too well. It's the story of the sower and the seed. He said, I know that you're anxious and and that you want all of this stuff and and that there's an attraction about the kingdom and about what God can do, but let me tell you about how different people will respond to that opportunity that lies before them. I'm gonna be reading this morning from Matthew's gospel. It comes in the the 13th chapter. It's it's the classic classic story of Jesus telling about the sower and the seed. He said, now that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he he got into a boat and he sat in it. Now I want to stop right there because this is a transition that you see in Matthew's gospel. Prior to this, Jesus is doing all of his ministry in the synagogue, in the temple. At this point, he is so irritated, the powers that be, that he is no longer welcomed in the, temple, in the temple proper, in the religious order. And so what does he do? He goes out to the people, he goes out to the peasants, he goes out to people like you and me that have these questions and he begins to teach them. And he said, then he told them many things in parables, in these stories, and he said, now I wanna tell you, he said a, a farmer went out to sow some seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Now other seeds fell among the thorns which grew up and they choked the plants. But still others fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, even thirty times what was sown. Now let him who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of God for the people of God. I tend to collect little quotes. I tend to collect little thoughts, little images uh, as I peruse different books and, and do different research. I, I love to collect different things. And, and I, there's some that, that are really good that I want to memorize and I put them up on my desk above my computer so that I can always remember them. And this falls into that category. We often say that, oh, we know what's going on with the sower and the seed. And it's a, it's a delightful little story. It's a story about harvesting and about all of the things. But when it gets behind our defense, Offenses, it has the potential to make a fundamental shift in the way we think about who we are and about our role. And one of the quotes that I have above my computer is something very simple. Nothing is as simple as it seems. That's because nothing is simple and nothing is as it seems. The idea is, is that when we look at this parable, we can digest it as saying it's a nice, cute little parable worth remembering. Or we can look at it in terms of human nature and say, 
yeah, you know, this is how people in general respond to life. This is, this is a choice that we have to make. This is the way that we respond to the promises that God has. God says, I am making you an invitation. The kingdom of God is coming upon you. It is a kingdom unlike anything that you have ever known. It is a kingdom of abundance, of joy, and of peace. The things that really matter. You are being bogged down, you are being chained by your obsession with possessions and power and pride. Let them go and experience the freedom that I have. Those are the seeds. Those are the things that are being broadcast into your life. How will you respond? And so we come saying, Jesus, what must I do? Now in the Old Testament, we might turn to something like Micah 6.8 taken from the message translation. It says, he has already made it plain how to live, what to do, and what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and consistent in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously, but always take God seriously. We know that, we, we know what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 10. He said, love, the, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Oh, there we are. And love your neighbors yourself. You know that. And yet how hard is it for us to do that on a consistent basis? So Jesus says, let me tell you the way we often respond to those invitations. The invitation that is being made to you today. The word is being broadcast. God's invitation, God's spirit is being broadcast all the time. Maybe it's last night. Last night to me was a glorious night, right? It was nice and kind of a warm, but it was, the autumn breeze was beginning to kick in. There was a full moon. You looked out and, and the full moon kind of made all of the trees kind of glow. And you say, what a glorious world this is. Are there, does it have its imperfections? Sure but God's spirit permeates all. God's voice is being broadcast to you all of the time. How do we respond to that? He said, whenever you hear God's word, whenever you feel God's spirit moving within you, whenever you feel that invitation, there's a couple of things that different people will respond in different ways. He said the first time is is that seed gets broadcast. The seed is the word, the spirit of God, and it'll fall on the path. Now, the path represents the barrenness of our lives. The path is, is pressed down, the soil is hard, it, it's, it's unavailable for change. It's unavailable for the seed to do anything. It's often that time where the word goes in one ear and out the other. It's that life that comes to church and said, well, there's really nothing here for me today. Have you ever been to a church service where somebody's needled you and say, you know who really needs to hear that message? It's always somebody else, isn't it? It's never really for you. I want you to think something differently. I I want you to imagine that instead of getting up this morning and, and saying, well, what do you think? Do we have some free time? Should we go to church? Yes, this is the time to go to church. I want you to imagine that you got up and said, you know, I just feel that God has to has to have time with me today. There's something about my life. Maybe, maybe today God wants you to know, above all things, his joy in your life. You, you give him so much joy. When you rise every morning, God sings for joy because your life 
is here and now. He's so pleased at the progress that you're making, that you're beginning to walk, you're beginning to stretch, you're beginning to know him better. He just wants you to know how much you are being loved. But maybe you also, there's some things that you're beginning to drift and, and God says, I need some time. I need to get, make them aware of where they're making some bad choices. Have you ever had, as either parents or as grandparents, where you see people that are making bad choices and you say, I, I think that's gonna come back to bite them someday. The life that you are living today is a direct result of the choices that you made yesterday. As a result, the choices that you make about your life, your connection to God, are going to have ramifications in the years to come. Are you available to those kind of opportunities? Do you see this as a moment for you? So the question that we ask at this level is, what is God saying to me? What is it about this message at this time and at this moment in your life that God wants to connect with you? Jesus said sometimes the seeds are on hard soil and people just aren't available. It's just one in one ear and out the other. They just aren't available, they don't need, there's nothing that I need and therefore God has nothing to say to me about my life. But we're peasants, we're of peasant stock and we need to know that our lives are about more than just planting and sowing, that God has something in store for all of us. The next level is he said some of those seeds will actually fall on soil and they'll sprout up with energy. These are the soil, these are the seeds that hit the superficial. These are the people that come and, and they're so excited because they want some good music and they want a good environment and they want a good hour spent. And whenever they leave, they say, I got something out of this today. This was beneficial to me today. But sometimes that is kind of fleeting. They, they sprout up, they get energized, they get excited, but it doesn't have staying power. If you were to ask anybody that is involved in church life, they will tell you, what are the two high points in most churches? What are the two seasons? Christmas and Easter. Why? Because during Christmas, the sanctuary is decorated. We put up all kinds of things because we want it to be warm and inviting, and it's a celebratory time. At Easter, we have lilies, and it's a time of spring, of new birth, and we're excited about what's about to unfold. What is the lowest time of attendance? Probably July and August, the dog days, the hard grind, other things get involved. And so that enthusiasm of, of Christmas and of Easter tends to begin to fade in the hot, dry summer of growth and of prosperity because we begin to wither. That energy, that enthusiasm, look at what we could do as a church begins to fade when the work begins. The person that in the Old Testament that really embodied this was a guy by the name of Solomon. Solomon was the king of Israel and, and he, his, his goal in life was to, to deny himself nothing. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter two, Solomon writes, he said, come, I will test you. I will test my heart with pleasure to find out but what is good. I'm gonna deny myself nothing, no pleasure. I'm gonna try everything this world has to offer. And at the end of his life, he writes, this was meaningless, it is a waste. If that's all that you're living for, for that one moment, it is a dried up waste. Can we learn that the superficial life 
is a dry life. And so the question that we ask for the superficial, those that, that have the energy but not the depth, where am I avoiding the cost of discipleship? Where am I, putting, where am I denying the, the time spent in study to grow those deep roots so that when the sun comes up, when the dry seasons come, I still have the depth to sustain? Because Jesus is saying these, these people will sprout up, but they will, in time, they will wither. When the challenges come, when disease hits, and when famine comes, they are not able to sustain themselves, and they dry up. He said the third category is just as bad. These are the people that are choked out. And I would probably say that in our generation, in our culture, this is the most dominant force, competitive interests. Other things that squeeze out the life-giving spirit that God has in store for you. It's those competing things, those things that really seem good. They look good. They're growing. They're right beside us. Everybody else is doing it, but they're sapping and they're sucking out the life force, the energy, the enthusiasm of what God has in store for you. As a matter of fact, in the interpretation, when Jesus talks to his disciples, he said there are really two things that are competing for your interest. One are the worries of this life, the worries of life. Am I keeping up with the Joneses? They actually have a term for it now. They call it FOMO. Have you all heard of that? Fear of missing out. I'm afraid that time is passing me by. I'm afraid that I'm not keeping up with everybody else. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is, is part of that group. I don't wanna miss that opportunity. And so the worries of trying to keep up, of running faster, that, that hamster on the treadmill, constantly trying to go faster and keep up. And then he said, and of, of course, the deceitfulness of wealth. In Revelations chapter three, Jesus is talking to the seven churches. And he talks to the church of Philadelphia. And he says, you say that you have riches and that you have wealth and therefore you don't need anything. He said, but when I look at you, when I see you with clear eyes, you're, you're poor and you're wretched and you're naked, but you can't see it because wealth has a blinding effect upon us. We think we have more security. We think we can weather any storm, but we really can't. And he said, what will happen? Jesus said, what will happen is those seeds will be sown, but they'll try and be like everybody else. And eventually all of those pressures that are around us will suck the life force out of us. We will dry up and we will be choked out. And so the question that we have at this level is am I being inconsistent? Am I being inconsistent? Do I, do I show up on the days when the sun is shining, but when worries and fears, I tend to fade away and wither and dry up? I'm being choked out. Now here's the interesting thing about this parable. Jesus said when the word of God goes out, there are four categories or four examples that he gives. Three of those four wither and dry up and fail to produce a fruit, fail to be a harvest. Only one reaches the final goal. And that's the goal, the promise for us, for people like us, people that have an outward mindset, people that are looking because the fruit are things that the plant produces for others, that it goes outside itself. The question here is what am I giving to others? 
How does my life become a blessing to those that are around me? How am I becoming a missionary at my office? How am I becoming a witness for goodness and and mercy and peace in my family and in my community? In Galatians chapter five, Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And, And if you were to break that down into categories, he said there are a couple of things. He said, first of all, there's your attitude. One of the great things about this fruit that Jesus is talking about, when it finally grows and when it finally produces in time, It's an attitude that permeates your soul. I mean, look at these. These are soul things that that you will feel an overwhelming sense of love and joy and peace. And isn't that the essence of life itself? To have patience in every situation. Have you ever had known somebody in your church that was like one of those old time saints, those, those people that had weathered every storm that were just, they were almost unflappable. And in every situation, they were just a calming, secure presence. They weren't upset by anything. They were just at ease with who they are and with God's word. It wasn't about how much money they had made or what their job was. They just were secure in who they were. It was an attitude that permeated all that they said and did. There was a a sense of character, how they interacted with other people. There was a kindness about them, a gentleness in every situation to strangers and friends alike. There was a faithfulness, a consistency. You knew that whenever something was going on, you could count on them to be there because that's just who they were. They had integrity. And also about their actions. They were generous. They were always looking for opportunities to serve. And you knew that they would always be there when the time was right. In Galatians chapter five, Paul writes about this, and I love the way that he writes it in the message translation. He said, what happens when we live God's way? Isn't that the question that we're asking? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. And isn't that the essence of what we're asking as peasants, as people that that are of the earth, that are working? God offers this to you. He offers it, but how you respond is whether you produce fruit or not. And so Jesus told this parable about a sower and a seed. And as you hear this story this morning, the questions that we are left with is, what is God saying to you about where you are in the here and now? Ask yourself, am I avoiding the cost? Do I have roots? Am I developing my roots? Am I going deeper? Am I a part of one of the Bible studies that we offer in order to understand the deeper things that God has in store for us? Hello? There we go. Am I being inconsistent? Am I kind of being fickle? Do I pop in and pop out? And and whenever there's a tragedy or a competing interest, Something else is stealing my joy. 
Am I bearing fruit? Do, do, do people see in me the fruits that are being developed? Now the interesting thing about this parable is that it's something that grows in you. It takes time. The, the stock needs to develop. Those roots need to go deep. And at the very end, when people look back on all of us, that fruit will be, and Jesus said, it'll be more than you can imagine. That one little seed, that one little seed that's being planted there, 30, 60, maybe even 100 times what you plant will be given back to you. That's an investment worth making. But I love the way he ends that, that story or the gospel writer ends it. He puts it out there and he said, this is a story. Take it home, chew on it. And he said, but here's the thing. Let him who has ears, let him hear. Have you heard the voice calling to you? The invitation is being made. The seeds have been sown. The soil is ready. Let us begin. Let us pray. Father, we have come this morning asking for your grace. We pray, Father, that sometimes we struggle to understand who we are and who we're becoming. We use this time because you've called us to this place to challenge us, to awaken us, and to allow us to bear that kind of fruit that is part of your kingdom and your glory. Help us now, Father, to begin, help us to grow, and help us to become all that you have and all that you imagine us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.